Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. That you are currently praying about. And I want to give you a moment of, uh, of silence to do that, to think about it. Hopefully that's a pretty easy list for you to come up with because it's something you're regularly praying about, uh, something that's on your mind already. But I want to give you a moment to scribble that down, uh, and that will be helpful to you a little bit later in this sermon. So silence begins now. Might be people you're praying about, situations you're praying about, uh, just general ideas. You can get as specific as you want to get. I'm not taking these up, so don't worry. This, this is not part of the survey. But just four things, a couple more seconds. There is nothing more awkward for a public speaker than silence. <laughs> All right. Hopefully that was enough time. If not, I'm sweating bullets up here with the, uh, with the silence. So we'll go ahead and move on in the lesson. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, uh, the passage that Keith read for us earlier. I want to look at this. In a little bit of detail this morning, uh, as we talk about prayer, and particularly as we talk about how we should view prayer. 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. It says, this is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. You know, John, in particular, through his gospel, focuses on the concept of confidence, the concept of knowing who we are and who we belong to. Uh, just as a, a quick little survey, chapter 2, verse 3, chapter 2, verse 20, verse 26, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 1, verse 7, verse 10, verse 19, Chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, verse 13, verse 14, and verse 18. All include, I mean that many times, includes this concept of knowing who you are, knowing to whom you belong, knowing that you are saved, having confidence that you are who you claim you are. This is how we can know, is the phrase that is repeated again and again. John wants you and I to have confidence that we are who we believe we are. 
And it is interesting that as you go through the gospel, or this, this letter from, from John, he uses prayer twice as a confidence builder for us that we can know that we belong to God. One of them's found over in chapter 5. I want to read that real quick, and then we're going to come back and read and, and focus on this one here in chapter 3. It says, verse chapter 5, verse 14, This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, uh, hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked from him. That comes on the tail end of verse 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants us to know our salvation, to know our inheritance, to know our destiny, to know that we are in a right relationship with God. And he says, if you know that you are in a right relationship with God, he will prove that to you through the answering of prayers. He does the same thing over in chapter 3 in the passage we just read. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth. This is how we will reassure our hearts that are doubting whenever our hearts condemn us because God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. You want to know confidently. Do you want to have assurance and reassurance whenever you're doubting that you truly do belong to God? Here's how you have that. You have confidence and he that to you through the answering of prayer. It goes on, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God, we receive whatever we ask, we have confidence because we obey, we have confidence because we do what is pleasing to him. This way we know he remains is that he gives us confidence through the Spirit. Now one of the things I have seen repeatedly through the church is a lack of confidence, a lack of assurance, a lack of certainty that we truly are right with God and that we truly are in that relationship with God and that we are in a relationship that is pleasing to God. And oftentimes we do that based on our own lack of obedience. We'll say, well, you know, I'm not sure... You know, if I were to ask, and this is kind of the tell-all sign that we often use, if, if you were to die, if you were to just fall over in your pew dead right this second, would you go to heaven? And more of us than should will answer, I hope so. I hope so. Not a, I hope because uh, of of. Well, honestly, the, the only explanation for that answer is, I'm not sure. I, I'm not really absolutely sure that I'm going to heaven. I just, I, I hope I'm going to heaven. It's where I have placed my hope. It, it's what I, I think might, could happen, maybe, if. And that's not what John wants for us. John says, I want you. To know. This is how you can know that you belong to the truth. Well, one of the ways in which we know is by God giving us the very things we have asked for in prayer. 
Now, one of the ways is, yes, obedience, but you find obedience is linked with the answering of prayers often. You know, one of the ways that we can know, that we, can, we, we have to ask from God is, is not being double-minded, not being, you know, wishy-washy, not going, well, you know, I'm going to do things my own way and then expect God to give me everything I want. No, the, the prayer always is linked together with obedience. Linked together with this idea of obeying him. Verse 22, we receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. And so there the idea of we, we receive what, we, what we've asked for as a direct result of being obedient children. So we know that's part of it. But the other part of it that John includes here is the answering of prayers. That while obedience is the way we build our relationship with God, it is the answering of prayers is the way that God reassures us that we are in him. And I don't know that we think about prayer in those terms. We think about prayer oftentimes, at at least this is my judgment, we think about prayers more as a side benefit of belonging to the Creator. You know, we, it's nice that we have an all-powerful and generous God because He will sometimes, whenever He decides He wants to, give us what we want. And we talk about it as if it's some side benefit that comes from a result of belonging to God. That's not the way Scripture talks about prayer. Prayer is how God reassures us that we belong to him. So let me say again, like I've said before in past sermons, if we find ourselves constantly receiving negative answers from God, that is our opportunity to start thinking what's wrong. Because if God is not reassuring us that we are good with him, it could be that we are not good with him. It is important that we use prayer as that guide, as that test, to help us understand our relationship with God. But part of it is also that prayer often reveals to us what we care about most. Here's why I had you write down your four things. Those four things that you are continually bringing before God are the things you care about most. The four things that popped into your head quicker than anything else. These are the things I talk to God about currently, maybe even regularly. These are the things I'm constantly bringing to him. These are the things I am most concerned about. This is where my heart is at. Prayer reveals that to us. If, if, if what we're praying about is ourselves, our own possessions, our own wants, our own desires, that we want that promotion, that we want this new job, that we want more money, that we want this thing, then that's the thing that is most important to us. Prayer reveals that. If what we're praying about is this world and all the trouble that's happening in the world and the, the, the divides that we see happening in our country and the potential disasters that are in our future and the political up unrest that's happening 
everywhere and all of the, the shipping disasters that are happening in our country right now and why they're happening and we're praying, praying, praying about all of those things, those are the things that matter most to us. If what we're praying about is, is the church, then the church is what matters to you. And if what you're praying about is your neighbor, your neighbor is what matters. Your family, it's what matters. We pray about what we care about. We need to recognize that. So my question to you is, what do you pray about? What do you find yourself dwelling on whenever you have the ear of the creator of this universe? What is so important that you take God's time up, as if that's possible, because I know he lives outside of time, but speaking accommodatively, what is so important that you take God's time up with it? And again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm making no judgment call whatsoever on whatever you're praying about. And secondly, I'm not saying that God doesn't have time for even your simplest request. Not my point at all. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. We tend to, as people, be fairly simple. And we tend to get stuck within certain patterns because that's who we are. And the things that you habitually and repeatedly pray about are the things that are most weighing on your heart and they tell you something about yourself. That thing, whatever it is, whether you would qualify it as important or, or trivial, it is important to you because you take God's time up praying about it. What is it? What is it that is most important to you? Because here's the deal. I am convinced through Scripture that we have a very generous and good God. And I am convinced as I look through Scripture that we have a God who desires to give and give abundantly and give far exceedingly abundantly more than what we ask or think, that we have a God who desires to shower you with blessing and desires to give you good things. And when God can do that in a way that reassures your relationship with him, he does it. But if you've let other things get in the way and God cannot reassure your relationship with him, he won't. So if we will craft our hearts in such a way that we are most concerned about the things of God, that not only causes us to receive the things for which we are praying, but it causes us to have a heart that is focused on the right things. It kind of kills two birds with one stone. It allows your heart to be and your mind to be spiritually focused, and it allows God to reassure your faith and your relationship with him because he is, of course, going to grant requests that are about his things and according to his will. 
And that's what we see in the early church. Now I'm going to look real fast. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to the book of Acts, and we are going to fly through a series of verses here. They're in order. That should make this simpler, I think. Uh, but Acts chapter 1, verse 14, I want, to look, I want you to see with me, these are not all of the verses we have in the Bible or in the book of Acts, uh, but I want us to look at a, a, a scattering of them. See, it's interesting to me that prayer is mentioned 10 times in the book of Matthew. And it's mentioned 12 times in the book of Mark and five times only in the book of John. But in the Gospel of Luke, it's mentioned 19 times. And by the time you get to the book of Acts, it is mentioned 32 times. Prayer is a massive thing to the early church. And particularly to Luke, who writes both Luke and Acts, he spends a lot of time talking about prayer. So a quick little survey of what we read in the early church of, the, of prayer, I think is helpful. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They were all continually united in prayer, this is talking about them in the upper room before they choose the, the, the replacement disciple and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So they were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Chapter 2, verse 42, you should be able to quote by now, but they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Y'all want to kind of say it with me here? and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That was horrible. Man, I, I thought for sure we'd be like on that, just all together. They, they continually devoted themselves to prayer. That was one of the four elements that was most important to the early church. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Acts chapter 4, verse 24 through 31, we won't read because we read it at our last sermon, but it's the example when Peter and John get away from being arrested, they come back in the church, they all pray together with one voice, and we know that the ground shook as a result of that prayer, and it was a powerful display of God's approval of the people. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, but we will devote ourselves, the apostles say, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You look over in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 59, you've got uh, here, excuse me, Stephen, who is, who is before uh, being stoned by the, the enemies of the church, and yet he is praying. He is praying as he is dying there in front of the people. Acts chapter 13, verse 3, before they send out Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey, it says, after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. You skip around the end, Acts chapter 20, verse 36. Again, this idea of prayer. After he said this, he knelt down and he, Paul, prayed with them all. He was talking about the Ephesian elders. That's just a few examples of 32 different examples in the book of Acts. Just a few. What I want you to note is that prayer was constantly a part of their lives. And it didn't matter what their circumstances were. It didn't matter if they were being persecuted or not. It didn't matter if they were in jail or if they were free. It didn't matter if they were gathered with other Christians or not. They prayed. They desired to pray. Prayer was a top priority in the early church. 
It was of utmost importance. And I love that the apostles there in Acts chapter 6, verse 4 say, we are not going to stop what we are doing to handle this administrative task of handing out food to some neglected people. They're not even going to stop to handle the problem of potential division in the church because there was a conflict between the Hebraic Christian and the Hellenistic Christian. They weren't going to stop for anything. They needed to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's an incredible amount of focus. And it should be our focus. It should be what we are doing. And again, there's no right formula for this. There's no uh, right answer, wrong answer. But I'll tell you, and this is, I mean, I, I by no means want to call out names or anything like that, but I have been with leadership groups of churches that I have never prayed with other than maybe a prayer over a meal. Can you imagine? Trying to lead God's people and your focus is so administrative, it's so focused on just making decisions, but those aren't decisions that are, that are enveloped and showered with prayer. Prayer is what we should be doing more than anything. And they were constantly, constantly praying. And they did that both individually and corporately. You see them gathering together to pray there in the upper room in chapter 1 uh, as, a, as a congregation and the release of Peter and John in chapter 4. You've got them gathered together in the house of Mary when Peter's been arrested over in chapter 12. And you've got that hilarious story of them thinking Peter's ghost just showed up at the door. And then you've got stories of them praying individually, both before they became Christians, after they became Christian. You know, it, you, you've got prayer being a primary focus of the people who, who belong to God. Is that our primary focus? It's, I, I'll be honest, that me, I will throw myself under this bus. It is real easy for me to sit down and study my Bible and to prep sermons and to get ready for Bible classes and to open up and read and and just completely neglect the act of prayer. Shame on me. Shame on me. We've got to be praying people if we are going to be God's people. And here's what amazes me most when you look at the prayers going through the book of Acts. It's not just how often they prayed or how diligently they devoted themselves to prayer, but it's the things about which they prayed. You look through the list. They prayed for their leaders. Are we doing that? Are we praying for our leaders? Are, are we making sure we are bringing our elders and our, our preacher, I, I hope, and our, our deacons and, and different men who step up and lead and women who teach Bible classes and all the things that we have going on here, are we praying about those things? They prayed about the manifestation of the Spirit. 
that the Spirit be obvious in the way that the Spirit was working. Chapter 5, verse 15, after, or excuse me, 8, verse 15, after they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. I, I love that. The, the apostles who were in Jerusalem sent Peter and John, and when Peter and John got there, the first thing they did, they prayed. They prayed about those new Christians. And then they laid hands on them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit in those works. But they prayed for those Christians because those Christians were going to need God's help, were going to need God's guidance. They made sure that those Christians were laid before God in prayer. Are we doing that? So I, I love that we have so many different tools that we can use. We, our elders often get up and talk about the bulletin, that it's our task list, our to-do list to go through and pray for those people. Let me give you a step further than that. We have directories. There's a lot of people in this congregation that very rarely ever end up on the prayer list for who's sick or who's struggling with some sort of health issue on the back of the bulletin. But they sit in the directory 24-7. They're always there. Why not pray through the directory? Pray about each individual family. Pray for fathers to raise their children well. Pray for mothers to be great mothers. Pray for husbands to love their wives and wives to respect their husband. To pray that each family be useful in the kingdom of the Lord and that we do that together. That we can go through this list we have and even got pictures on it and we can pray for all those people. We can pray they'll be useful. They'll be faithful and that we might be useful to them. Another thing they prayed for was for sinners to repent. I mean, you, same chapter here, chapter 8, Simon has come and, and ridiculously and foolishly asked to pay for the ability to distribute the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, uh, you have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Wowzers! I mean, that is about as a, a bold and blunt of a statement as you get. But I love, I love Simon's response. Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. I imagine Simon is a blubbering mess when he says that. Pray for me. Pray about my repentance. Pray about my standing with God. Pray that I be faithful. Pray that I be found right with God. We should be doing that. We should be praying about those things. Now, I, again, I, I know our tendency is to make excuses and go, well, but I don't really know about people's sins, and we're not real good at coming forward and confessing those things and, and all of that, so I don't really know what to pray for. We all sin. We all struggle. So you can at least pray generally, 
I will say if you just watch, you know, I, I haven't known most of you nearly as long as you've known each other. But I can generally watch and see if something's off. And some of you, I, I've come to you and said, what's going on? You, are you okay? You seem, you seem different. You seem down. You seem upset. You seem, and we'll have a conversation about it. That's all it takes. We're family. I'll tell you right now, my kids get up, I can tell you who's going to be a problem generally from the first 10 minutes of the day. I, I, you just watch them and you're like, okay, that one woke up wrong and we're going to have a problem with them. And generally speaking, I will go have a conversation with them and say, okay, sin is crouching at your door and so is a spanking paddle. I mean, that, that's where, you, you know, you, you, you can tell that, can't more you know somebody, the easier it is to tell when something's not right. We should do that for each other. We should be reaching out and opening those doors and having those conversations because we want to help. I love Acts chapter 13, verse 3, which we already looked at where they prayed and they fasted about the sending out of Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey. They laid hands on them and they sent them off. They prayed about the mission. We should be praying about our mission. And we have one. It might not be a missionary journey. What we have is more of a missionary lifestyle that wherever we go, whoever we interact with every single day, we should have in our mind and our hearts, hey, this person might need Jesus. Let me pray and ask God to open a door here and, and, and walk through those doors when God opens them. And we should be praying for one another. I, I've, I've had several of you tell me, well, Adam, I, I'm at home all day long. I'm not really out among people. Then pray for those who are. Pray for those who are out in the world and, and, and receiving opportunities on a daily basis to share the gospel with people who don't know it. We need to be praying about our mission. And I'm going to be honest, I, one prayer that has always grated at me is we're going to pray that God sends us workers. No, pray that we develop workers that we are being workers, that we are stepping up and doing work that isn't being done, that each one of us is looking for where is there a gap in the service that we provide the world around us and how do I step into that gap? How can we as a church get more mission focused? I'm going to tell you the first thing it begins with praying about it. Because like I said at the beginning, the things you pray about are the things you care about. And so let's talk about that backwards. What we were talking about at the beginning of the sermon is that the things that you care about are the things you pray about. Let me, let me offer to you that it works the other way. The things you make yourself pray about are the things you will start to care about. And when we care about God's things, God answers those prayers. 
We need to be devoted to this. We need to be devoted to it because it's our example. It's what we've seen. It's what we know the early church did. They cared about God's work. They cared about God's will. They cared about God's way. And we need to be the same kind of people. If you're not a child of God, that's where it all begins. Being baptized into Christ and allowing him to take control of your life, allowing Jesus to be your guide, allowing him to teach you how you can live this life well and obeying his way, that, that's where it all begins. And so I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, to become one today. If we can help you by baptizing you into Christ or sharing with you some truth that might help you make that decision, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.